You know, the things that I was sharing, last night, I don't know if that blessed you, but last night is a key, I believe, to um, knowing God. Switching from being sense knowledge based after the flesh to being spiritual. And uh, that truth right there is something that you need to go over and over and over. It is not the kind of thing that you get in one listening. Amen? Let's turn over to Second um, Peter chapter 1. And if you've been here for all of these services, how many of you, this is your first meeting that you've made out of this series? Could I see your hand? Praise God, quite a few new people. Again, you need to get those CDs. I've been talking about knowing God and that knowing God is the key to everything. Most people want to get God's power. They want to receive a healing or a deliverance or a touch from God or something like this, but they don't know Him. And I've really spent a lot of time trying to say that the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth and dying for our sins wasn't to save us from going to hell. Even though that is one of the purposes, that is a benefit. The scripture says very clearly in John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus defined everlasting life in John 17, 3 by saying everlasting life is knowing God. So the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth and forgiving of our our sins was so that we wouldn't perish but have relationship with Him. And and, uh, John 3, 31 says we now have everlasting life. Everlasting life doesn't start when we die and go to heaven. We can have an intimate knowing of God in this life. That's what Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3, that he counted everything but dung so that he could have the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus and know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul, it was all about personal relationship. This is what should separate true Christians from every other religion on the face of the earth. They all have doctrines. They all have belief systems. They all have moral codes. But Christianity is a relationship. You literally become God-possessed. God lives on the inside of you, and He wants relationship, fellowship with you. And sad to say, a lot of Christians honestly don't have any more contact with God than other religions who are just adhering to rules and regulations. I know that sounds a terrible statement. But I deal with a lot of people. I guarantee you, I've prayed with, I, I prayed with probably 20 or 30 people out there this morning. I prayed, I prayed with 20 or 30 people before and after every service. I deal with lots of people. And the things that people say and do, you can tell that they wouldn't know God if he was to walk up and introduce himself to them. They don't understand the ways of God. They don't understand how things happen. Amen. I better quit there. (laughs) But people don't know God. And if we knew God, it would change the way that we receive. Everything would work differently. It's just so simple. Christianity is simple if you do it the way that the Bible presents it. But if you just are trying to use God 
to get your needs supplied, but yet you don't know Him. You're, you're complicating the issue. If you, if you aren't really in communion with God, then you're, you're having uh, anxiety, you're worried, there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness. You are obsessing about the immaterial, the minute things of this life instead of putting things into their eternal perspective. And you ju- it just changes everything. But when you put God as the center of your life, really not much else matters. That is just absolutely true. You know, eventually I'm going to get over here to Second Peter. But let me, let me share with you that when I uh, had this experience with the Lord on March the 23rd, 1968, and all of a sudden I began to know God. It isn't a uh, one-time experience. It's not like I just had that one experience and instantly knew God. But I mean, I, the spiritual realm opened up to me. I began to understand God. I knew God was real and alive in a way that I'd never experienced before. And when that happened, I, my depth of relationship with God just exploded. I can't even begin to explain to you what happened. And right after that, nearly immediately after I had that experience, I was drafted and I, sent, I was sent to Vietnam. I was talking to a man out here this morning who was a Vietnam vet, three tours over there. And I was sent to Vietnam. But you know what? I was so in love with the Lord. My relationship with God was so paramount in my life that it's nearly like I was in a bubble. I honestly didn't even know what was going on around me. And just one verification of that. I was here in Chicago many, many years ago. I can't remember. This has been 15, 20 years ago. And uh, I was in Chicago and a guy came up and gave me a book that had 12 testimonies of Vietnam vets in it. And uh, they had experienced terrible things, uh, you know, in Vietnam. And when they came back, terrible things going on in their life. And they had all found the Lord and it was a testimony to how Jesus could change you and stuff. And his testimony was in there and he gave me that book and autographed it. And I knew he was going to ask me the next night if I'd read this book. So I wasn't interested in reading it, but I honestly thought, well, I'll read his story just to see how it went. And it was powerful. And so I decided I'd read another story, and I read another story. And it was really a great book. And I wound up staying up nearly all night long reading that book. There was 12 testimonies in there. Three of them were there during the exact same time that I was there. They were talking about the same things I experienced. And, and two of them were in the Americal division that I was in And they were there during the exact same time that I was there. And, you know, I'm not sure, but one of them described being attacked on an LZ. They call that a landing zone, a Ford landing zone. And he described being attacked and that hill overrun. And I think I was there. I was a chaplain's assistant and I would go out with the chaplain. And we went to a place where... um, They were under severe attack and we went out there and the chaplain went to minister to the people. And while we were there, we were in an area that was, I think, less than the size of this room. And we took 179 direct mortar hits inside that perimeter during the few hours that I was there. You could see the muzzle fire from the weapons and that hill was close to being overrun. And they, of course, the chaplain, they pulled him out and I went with him right before the hill was overrun. But that hill was overrun and nearly every person on that hill was killed. And anyway, as I was reading this book, I was reading a testimony from a guy that I think was describing that same situation that I was in. And 
he was describing it from an unbeliever's perspective. What it was like without God. He described, and I mean it was graphic, the terror and the fear that he had in him. And here I was nearly 20 years after being in Vietnam reading something that happened through the eyes of an unbeliever and fear came on me and I had to pray for a couple of days to get that fear off of me because nearly 20 years later I experienced what it would have been like without Jesus. But you know, I remember exactly what was going through my heart and mind. During that period of time, I was so in love with the Lord and I had lost that overwhelming sense of his presence with me. I didn't understand what was going on at the time. And so anyway, I figured the only way you could ever really get back into that place that I had been was just to die and go to heaven. And so I had been praying for months for God to kill me and take me home. And you know what? I remember sitting there with bombs and stuff landing all around me and muzzle fire. You could see the people coming up the hill. And I mean, it was a serious situation. I was thinking today could be the day. Man, today could be the day. And I was so excited. I was so blessed. I was thinking, Jesus, this is awesome. And then I was thinking about all of the troops, my fellow soldiers and the Vietnamese. And I was thinking, but God, these people don't know the Lord. And I was interceding and I was having love and compassion flow out of me. Here I was in a situation where it was really serious. And you know what? I was having love and joy and peace and compassion flow out of me for the enemy. I had my M16 pointed at them. If they would have got close enough, I'd have shot. I would have shot them, but I was praying for them right before I shot them. I was having love and joy and peace. And you know what? It wasn't a big deal. I never told Jamie about it until I read this book. I never told anybody because it's just another day in Vietnam. And yet I read 20-something years later and saw it from an unbeliever's perspective and just like a light bulb went on, I thought, God, I was in a bubble. I wasn't even aware. And and what I'm saying is it was because of that personal relationship with Jesus. I can tell you that fear is non-existent when you are in the presence of God and loving God. I can tell you that worry and dread and all of the other things that go through people's minds. I've been in situations where literally my relationship with God just, it like inoculates you against things. If you are visiting and fellowshipping and praising God and somebody comes up and rejects you, you know what, I'm saying this in love. I hope it doesn't come across bad, but if you were to come up and I've had people spit in my face and tell me I'm of the devil and do all kinds of things. But if you're fellowshipping with God, it's like compared to visiting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you are nobody. Who gives a rip what you think? Some of you, why would never be that way? It's because you are so focused on people. It's because you only deal on this human level. But when you are in the presence of God Almighty, you you come from the throne room and God has just said, I love you. And then somebody else comes up and says, I don't love you. Who cares? (laughs) Amen. You know, I had a woman in Charlotte, North Carolina. I go to this, I go to this church in Charlotte where Pastor Derry and Karen are every year for, I think this will be our 21st year or something like that. 
And uh, there's a partner there that has me come into his business and speak. And I went in one year and spoke to all of his staff and stuff. And I went back into a break room, saw 10 of the people born again, prayed with people, saw miracles happen. This one woman came back who had tried to kill herself the day before. She had been divorced three times. She was in her fourth marriage. Her husband just told her he was going to divorce her. And so she was going to kill herself. And uh, she came back and she says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business. But she says, I know that God is real and I know that he can do things. Would you please pray for my marriage? My husband said he's going to divorce me. I just, I can't live if I go through another divorce. And see, most people who think, oh, that is really tragic. And I just looked at this woman and I said, let me make sure I've understood this correctly. I said, you aren't a Christian and you know that you aren't a Christian. And she said, that's right. I said, if you were to die right now, you'd go to, you'd go to hell. And she says, that's true. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation? And she says, yeah. And I said, lady, did you realize that after you've been in hell for a thousand years, burning in flames, you won't give a rip whether that marriage lasted or not. Who cares about your marriage? <laughs> now, some people, are, well, are you saying that God doesn't care about marriage? No, I prayed with her about her marriage last, but... But see, I, what I'm saying is you put things into perspective. Some people say, but if you're going through a divorce, you've got to fall apart like a $2 suitcase. Why? If you were visiting and fellowshipping with God and eternally minded, like those verses we used last night out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul said it's just a light affliction because it's just for a moment. You could look at this and you could say, you know what? If my marriage fell apart, it's just temporary. Amen. In heaven, you could, you could stand on this scripture and say, thank you, Jesus. In heaven, we don't marry nor are given in marriage. Amen. Thank you that this is temporary. If my marriage never works out, man, I could still be praising God and fellowshipping with God. You know what? If you had a vibrant relationship with God, even if you went through divorce, you could still be happy and say, Father, thank you that you'll never divorce me. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you that you are faithful faithful, faithful. You could be praising God even going through a divorce. If the doctor tells you you're going to die, people say, but, but I was just told that I've only got a week to live. You know, I, I've got to have problems with that. Why? We sing, you know, the song about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. <laughs> Something's wrong with this picture. Amen. You know what? If you really were to think about it, if you had the uh, attitude of the Apostle Paul who said that he gave up everything so that he could know him, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's even better for me to die. If you had Paul's attitude, if the doctor told you you were going to die, it'd be all you could do to keep from reaching up and kissing him. <laughs> Saying, man, this is awesome. Some Javier, I can't believe you're saying this. That because... I'm saying this in love, but it's because you're so carnal. It's because you're just thinking on the human level. All you do is just think in the physical, natural realm, and people are so important to you. They're more important to you than God. But when you get to where God's more important than people, you'll get to where nobody can, no, nobody can do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. You have to bring yourself down to that level. You know, I was hiking up the mountain one time with a friend of mine. And we have a mutual friend, a minister, who criticizes us both. 
He's a friend and yet an enemy all at the same time. He's always saying something about us. So anyway, this we'd talked about it in the past. And we were walking up the mountain and this guy was saying, Have you heard what he said lately? Have you heard the latest thing that he said against you? And he started telling me and I said, Hey, I just don't want to hear it. I said, you know, we've already discussed this. I know that the guy doesn't like me, and I just don't want to hear it. It doesn't matter. And so he got real quiet for a few minutes. And then he says, why doesn't it matter? He says, he's your friend just the same as he's my friend. How come it doesn't bother you what he says about you the way it bothers me? And I said, because I don't value his opinion as much as you value his opinion." For a person to get next to you, you have to put a lot of value on their opinion. And it's not that I don't value people, it's that I value God so much more that in relative uh, terms, you know what, what you say about me just isn't that important. Oh, that's powerful. I just nearly got plumb off the subject. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about how that if you know God... And if you're in relationship with God, so many of the things that we have problems with, they would cease to be a problem if you were in relationship with God. Have you found 2 Peter yet? If you haven't found it by now, you might as well look on with your neighbor. You probably aren't going to get there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the way that you get into knowing the Lord in the spirit realm and not being controlled and dominated on the physical level is through the Word of God. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63, it's the spirit that quickens or makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. What a radical statement. The flesh profits nothing. There's probably not just, there may not be anybody in this room that really believes that the way Paul believed that. That's a radical statement. The flesh profits nothing. Boy, we, we put huge amount of effort into the flesh trying to make it look good, indulging it, going by how we feel. We exalt the flesh. We exalt feelings. Jesus said, it's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God is how you know what's going on in the spirit realm. It's how you know God. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. So the way you get into the spirit realm isn't through sitting in the lotus position and going om. That'll get you into contact with some spirits, but it's not God's spirit. The way you get in touch with God is by going through the word of God. And God's word is like a window. You know, there's no windows in this auditorium. You can't tell what's going on outside. If you wanted to know what's going on outside, you would have to go and go to some opening, a door, a window or something and look outside to see what the weather is like, whether it's raining or whatever. You can't tell by being in here. Well, in a sense, we are trapped in this physical realm. How is it that you see into the spiritual realm? How do you get in contact with the spirit realm? It's through the words, the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. And so what you do is you go to the Word and you take what the Word says 
and you believe that regardless of what your physical senses say to you. Isn't that simple? And here is a great example in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. If you look that word like precious faith up in the Greek, it's talking about identical in quantity and quality. You have obtained like precious faith, an identical faith with the apostle Peter. Now, Peter's faith was so strong that he was able to walk and his shadow would touch people and they would be healed and demons would cast out. He raised Dorcas from the dead. Peter walked on the water. He fell, but he walked on the water. That's more than most of us have done. Peter saw some awesome things happen. And Peter said to those of you who have like precious faith. Now, again, see, this is every word, every sentence in the Bible is just pregnant with spiritual truths if you can just see it. If you just took this one verse right here, Peter says you have like precious faith with him. Did you know probably one of the most common things that gets asked me, people say, well, I know that faith works. I've heard you talk about it. Would you please pray for me? I just don't have any faith. Would you pray that I'd get more faith? People are always petitioning God for more faith. This says you have the like precious faith with Peter. Your senses say, well, I don't. You don't feel it. You don't have a goosebump. You go look in the mirror and you don't see any halo or anything. There's no physical evidence. And so most of us, because we don't feel it, don't believe that we have this. And yet this is the word. This is like looking out a window and here's what's going on in the spirit realm. It says you have like precious faith with Peter. So if you want to start knowing God, you need to start looking into the Word and taking what it says. God says He has given you the same precious faith that Peter had. If that's not your opinion, then your opinion is wrong. You have the same faith that Peter had. If you say, well, I don't believe that I have the same faith that Peter had, well, then just tear 2 Peter out of your Bible because he's writing to people that have like precious faith. If you don't have like precious faith, 2 Peter's not for you. Cut it out of your Bible. It says you have like precious faith, and notice it came through the righteousness of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. It didn't come because he was an apostle. See, some people think, well, I think all that stuff passed away with the apostles. Paul said, uh, Peter said that it happened because of his faith in Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus. It came through what he did. You got this when you got born again. I've got a tape out there entitled The Faith of God that will show you you have the exact same quantity and quality of faith that Jesus had. You have the faith of Jesus in your heart. You don't have a faith problem. You got a knowledge problem. You don't know what you have. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 says, he was, Paul was praying a prayer for Philemon and he says, I pray that the communication of your faith would become effectual. That means that it begin to work by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. See, as a whole, the body of Christ is praying, oh God, you can do anything. You have done nothing, but you can do anything. And, oh, and it's all about pleading with God and begging God to pour out his power. And oh God, go heal this person. It ought to be just the opposite. God has already done everything he's ever going to do through Jesus. And now he is on the inside of every born again believer. You have the supernatural power and ability of God in your spirit. You are identical to Jesus. 
My book on spirit, soul, and body would explain that to you, that teaching on spirit, soul, and body. You ought to get that. It would change your life. You already have this. It's already in you. You already have the faith of God. See, this is how you begin to know God. Instead of seeing God as a person who could do anything, but he's got his arms folded up there, and you've got to beg a little longer, cry a little louder, be a little holier. It would change your life, knowing God, to know that God has already placed on the inside of you everything, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I'm getting ahead of myself. So in verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How do you get grace and peace? Well, most people pray for it. Oh, God, this person has said this. God, I'm so upset. God, I've got so much turmoil in my life. And they come. I had two or three people out today ask me to pray with them, basically, that they could have peace, that they would be able to cope, that things would work. Grace and peace don't come through prayer. They come through the knowledge of God. When your mind is stayed on God, when you are thinking God thoughts, you have grace and peace. You know, the Bible says that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And here's a clue for, here's a news bulletin for some of you. Those that are in charge of the news media in the United States are the ungodly. It is not godly. It is absolutely ungodly. And when they go to crying about the economy, you know why? It's because they're losing the money. Where's it going? It's not evaporating. It's coming to the believers. You know, we've probably most of us have prayed and said, oh, God, take the wealth of the sinner and give it to the just. If that was to happen in mass scale, it would come across on the news as panic, recession, everything's going wrong because they are losing control of it. The ungodly are in charge of it. But see, if you have the knowledge of God, if you know what the Word says, then while they're crying and talking about how bad everything is, it'd be a time for you to rejoice. <laughs> Say, thank you, Jesus. Man, this is the Word coming to pass, see? And, and so you don't just pray for peace. What you do is you, you know the Word of God, and it'll give you a different perspective on things. While everybody else is talking about this plague and this physical problem and this sickness and this disease, if you know the word, if you have the knowledge properly, you can sit there and say, no plague will come nigh my dwelling. And you can rejoice and be at peace while everybody else is complaining. But if you don't have the knowledge of God, you are going to be just as depressed and discouraged and fearful as the unbelievers. And this is what's happening to a very large degree in the body of Christ. We don't know God. We don't know his word. We don't know what he said. And so we just obsess over everything that the unbelievers obsess over. This says grace and peace comes to you through the knowledge of God. If you don't have peace in your life, it's because you don't know God. If you truly knew God, if you knew what God has made available to you, if you knew how pro you God is, you would not be worried about anything. You would be blessed, blessed, blessed to the max. Amen? And look at this in verse 3. It says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things. Did you know in the Greek, this means all things. It means that there is nothing excluded. Do you need healing? Do you need joy? Do you need peace? Do you need your marriage fixed? Do you need deliverance? Do you need anything? All things come through the knowledge of him. 
that hath called us to glory and virtue. All things. If you've got sickness in your body, you've got a knowledge problem. Because everything, including healing, comes through the knowledge of Him. If you are sick in your body, there's something that you don't know. There's something that you aren't thinking upon and focused. You haven't received the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you've got poverty in your life, I guarantee you, you've got a knowledge problem. Man, I could camp on that for a few days. Boy, we live in a society that has given nearly unlimited advantages and potential to us. Any person in here, you know, I I nearly hate to say this because I haven't got time to defend it, but it's absolutely true. Any person in here could prosper and become a millionaire in a short period of time if you'd get rid of your negative belief systems, your negative attitudes, if you'd go to believe God, any person in here could prosper supernaturally in a short period of time. And some of you, well, I don't believe that. That's part of your knowledge problem. You don't believe that you can prosper. You don't believe what the Word says. And so you're working some low-level job expecting nothing and getting it every time. You could prosper. The knowledge of God will cause you to prosper. The knowledge of God will cause you to succeed in your emotions. Everything that you need comes through the knowledge of Him. If you are deficient in some area in your life, you aren't controlling your thoughts according to what God's Word has to say. And you know what? Most people don't believe that. Most people say, well, that's true of most people, but you, you don't understand. I've got a chemical imbalance. Mine is, uh, it's all physical. It's natural. It has nothing to do with my thinking and my choices. That's not true. God would be unjust to sit there and command you, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and not put a disclaimer on it. This is for everybody except those that have chemical imbalances. No, it's, it would have been unjust. He didn't put any qualifications on it. This applies to everybody. Your chemical imbalance isn't what causes your emotional problems. It's a result of your emotional problems. And so you can sit there and change, take a pill and change your chemicals and modify it some way or another. But the root of it is as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. The way your emotions are, the reason your emotions are going the way they're going is because of the way you think. If you're thinking on depression, depressing things, you'll be depressed. This says all things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. And in verse 4 it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So the knowledge of him is the subject in the previous verse. And through the knowledge of him is what gave us these exceeding great and precious promises. God has recorded himself. He has bared his heart to us. He has revealed himself to us through the word. These promises are the knowledge of him. Just these few scriptures that I've used. In verse 1, you can see that God has already given you everything. All the stuff that you're asking for. God, give me more faith. You already have the same faith that was living in the apostle Peter. And it didn't come through your goodness or through your righteousness. It came by grace. This teach, that one verse teaches you that God is not moving in your life proportional to your goodness and your holiness. It's by the grace of God. God has already given you everything. Understanding that would transform our lives. 
totally, totally, totally transform people's lives if they understood that. And then grace and peace comes through the knowledge of Him, not through you praying, not through you being holy, not through you seeking God, bartering and making promises that I'll do this if you'll do this. It comes through the knowledge of Him. All things that pertain in life and godliness come through the knowledge of Him. And that knowledge has given us these exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Man, that is one powerful passage of Scripture. You could partake of the divine nature. Most of us are so in tune with our carnal, sinful nature. We sing songs about, I'm only human, I'm just a man. Boy, I hate that song. I'm not only human, I'm not just a man. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. I've been born again. I'm a new person. But see, we face problems and the doctor says, well, it's stage four cancer. You've got no hope. And we just think, well, I'm only human. What can I do? I'm not only human. You have the divine nature on the inside of you. And you have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, living just inches away from that cancer. All you got to do is activate it and release it through faith. If you would begin to start taking these promises, you could access the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. And yet many of us are living like mere human beings, not recognizing who we are, focused only on the natural realm and our natural limitations. And, oh, I could never make much money because, you know, I just don't have an education. You don't have this. You don't have that. And so you limit what God can do. Man, the knowledge of God will change you. The knowledge of God. The Word of God, is give, it, it's how God revealed Himself to us. And what you've got to do is go to the Word of God and start taking these verses and saying, Father, every word in here is a revelation of who you are and how you operate. What you've done, what you will do, And you start reading it like that. And you know what? You come to know God through His Word. As a matter of fact, I haven't got time to read all of these verses, but let me just skip down that Peter, in this uh, second letter to the the, uh, people he was writing to, Peter said three different times, I'm going to stir you up through remembrance. I'm going to put you in remembrance of what he said. And he was saying in these verses, right after the ones we read, that he knew he was about to die. His time to die was approaching and he had written down, he had written these things down so that these people could have this stuff in remembrance and remember the things that he had spoken unto them. And he said uh, here in Second Peter chapter 1, let me start with verse 15. He says, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance For we have not followed cunningly divide fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And then he refers back to the Mount of Transfiguration in verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Again, what he's trying to do is to say, look, I'm going to write these things down and leave you a copy so that you can keep this constantly in front of you because what we've said, it isn't just fables. 
It's not stories we made up. We were eyewitnesses. We saw Jesus glorified. We were with him on this mountain when his, he began to radiate the glory of God and a cloud overshadowed him and an audible voice came out saying, this is my beloved son. And they saw Moses and Elijah and they talked with Jesus about his crucifixion. He says, this isn't something we made up. We've seen it. We've experienced it. And you know, the purpose that he's saying this is to try and get the people to recognize that, hey, this is God. This is God speaking through me. The words I'm speaking, they're God words. This is God communicating to you. You know, if I was to come to Chicago and if I'd got on and if I'd have said, man, I saw the Lord. I saw Jesus. I heard an audible voice from God. God gave me a message to come to Chicago and preach this message. And if I'd have gone on my television set... Uh, program, and if I would have started saying something tangible, physical about this, and that I've heard an audible voice of God, you know what? We would have had a lot more people come in here. People will turn out for that kind of stuff. But you have somebody come and say, man, God has spoken to me through the Word. I've got a revelation of the Word of God, something that's going to help you and change your life. You don't have near as many people show up. I'm not criticizing you. You're the ones that showed up. Amen. But I'm just saying that if I was to go out and say that we we can promise you that you'll see something, that you'll feel something, there there will be a glory cloud in this place. You couldn't put the people in here. People are physical. They're trying to access and to know God physically, carnally. And so Peter, aware of that, was giving them some physical things, saying, we have seen the glory of God. We saw Jesus radiate light. We heard the audible voice of God. He's giving them some physical things. But look at this in verse 19. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He had just talked about seeing Jesus glorified and hearing an audible voice from God. And he says, I have something better than that. I have something more sure than that. What could be more sure than seeing the glory of God, hearing the audible voice of God come out of heaven? What's better than that? Verse 20 tells you. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. The better word, the more sure word, is the written word of God. You can know God better through taking the revelation that is in the written word of God, then you can know God through having some kind of a visible, audible, tangible manifestation of God. And you know what? That's not usually very exciting to people. Most people only use the Bible hoping that God will do something supernatural. And the moment that God does something supernatural, boom, they'll throw the Bible down and they'll run and and hold on to the goosebump. They saw a vision. They had gold dust in their Bible. They had something. And there's people that that's the only reason they use the Bible is so that they can have some kind of a supernatural encounter with the Lord. But the Bible here is saying that, you know what? The Word of God is actually a more sure word of testimony than any visible, physical, tangible things that you could have. When I first got really turned on to the Lord... I started hearing people like Kenneth Hagin, and I was raised a Baptist, and in the Baptist church, there wasn't any manifestations of the power of God. You got people born again, and people experienced God in that sense, but they, we didn't believe in healing. We didn't believe 
in deliverance. We didn't believe in really feeling the presence of God. Nobody shouted and praised God. If you raised your hand, they'd say it's the third door on the left. Amen. Uh, you know, I, we didn't raise our hands. We actually took a vote in our Baptist church about kicking a guy out because he would go around saying, praise the Lord. And they thought that was sacrilegious to say, praise the Lord. They took a vote whether they were going to de-church this guy for mocking the Lord. We didn't believe in the supernatural. So when I all of a sudden received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I knew that God was supernatural and that He could intervene and that we could experience supernatural things, I started seeking all of this. And I heard Kenneth Hagin talk about how that he had fire in his hands and when he had put his hands on people, the fire would jump between his hands or either it would just burn and he could tell whether they needed to be healed or delivered. And he would see visions and he saw demons and he saw angels and he heard voices and I read about other people. And so, you know what, all of a sudden I started seeking those things. Saying, Father, if you do that for them, you'll do it for me. And I started looking for those things and praying for them. And this is a very condensed statement right here, but the Lord showed me through um, John chapter 20, Matthew chapter 8, that the centurion said, Lord, I have a servant that's sick. And he said, I will come and heal him. And he says, I don't need you to come to my house. You speak the word only and my servant will be healed because I have men under me and I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to another, do this, and he does it. You speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Jesus marveled and said, I have never seen so great faith. There's only twice in the Bible that Jesus marveled at this man's great faith and another time he marveled at his own disciples' unbelief. He was amazed people could be that full of unbelief and he was amazed that somebody could operate in this degree of faith. What made that centurion's faith so strong? He says, you speak the word only. He trusted God's word. If God would say it, that was enough for him. And in contrast with that, his own disciple, Thomas, after his resurrection, he wasn't present the first time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And so the other disciples told Thomas about Jesus being raised from the dead. And he says, I will not believe unless I can put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. He refused to believe their report. And so just eight days later, all of a sudden Jesus appeared in the room. And this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus walked right up to Thomas and said, Thomas, put your finger into the print of the nails. Put your hand into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas didn't have to put his finger in. He just fell to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And he repented of his unbelief. And the Lord said this to Thomas in John chapter 20. He says, Thomas, because you saw, you believed. Yea, rather, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He put a greater blessing on the person who only had the word only. Just like that centurion. You speak the word and he says, that's the greatest faith I've ever seen. He told Thomas, you believe because you saw something, because of some physical, tangible proof. There's a greater blessing on those who believe because of the word and they haven't had some. And when I saw that and I put that together with Second Peter chapter 1 where the word is a more sure word of prophecy, you know what, I turned and I said, God, I want to operate in your best. If I never see a vision, if I never have an angel touch me, if I never have a goose bump, I want to be a person that believes the word of God and operates in the greatest faith that there is. 
And you know, because of that, I've never heard an audible voice. I've never seen an angel. I've had people see angels around me. I've even prayed and said, Lord, I know that there's angels in the service. And, um, you know, I'm asking you to reveal things to me. I went to Charlotte one time and I was at the tent meeting and the Lord showed me that I'd prayed with this young boy before the service. His father brought him and he had, I think, kidney failure. And he was really sick. He was on dialysis and uh, he just believed that there was no hope. And the father was believing, but the boy didn't believe. And he was not excited. So I prayed with him, but he didn't receive anything from me. And while I was sitting up here during the praise and worship, the Lord spoke to me and said that there are angels moving in this auditorium right now and touching people. And I called that out. I couldn't see it. I just knew it in my heart. Did you know that little 18-year-old boy came up to me right after the service and he said, I rejected your prayer before, but he says, right before you said that, somebody put their hands on my back and laid the hands on their kidney. And he says, I turned around and there was nobody there. And yet somebody was laying hands. And he says, I know it was an angel. And then you came up and said, God, an angel is touching somebody. And boy, this guy became a believer. And he got healed right then. So anyway, I acknowledge that there are angels in our meetings doing things, but I've never seen them unless you talk about this biker I was talking about, the physical manifestation. I mean, I've never seen some spirit being with wings and things like that. My point is that God wants us to walk by faith. If the Lord wanted to, He could make a bird come land on your shoulder and say, I love you and tell you what you're supposed to do and speak to you. And he could have a dog walk up to you every morning and bark out your instructions. <laughs> he had Balaam's donkey talk to him. You know what? He could have your dog sit there and tell you everything. He could write your name in the sky and he could do all of these things. But that's not the way that God is. When God came to this earth, he didn't come on a 747 or the space shuttle. He didn't come in some miraculous way. He came in a way that was so humble that it took faith to perceive that this was God. He didn't announce it to the kings. He announced it to shepherds. Jesus was in a body that there was no glory. There was nothing special about him. When he rose from the dead, I guarantee you, I wouldn't have appeared to Mary Magdalene, the very first person. I'd have probably appeared to Pilate. I'd have shook his bed and woke him up. And I said, are your hands clean now, Pilate? Man, I've appeared to those soldiers who blindfolded him and then spit in his face and smote him and said, prophesy if you're the Christ. Man, I'd have appeared to them and I said, would you like me to tell you something? <laughs> I'd have prophesied to them. I'd have had everybody prostrate. Did you know Jesus never appeared to anybody except believers after he was raised? All he had to do was just hover above Jerusalem. And every person in Jerusalem would have had to have said, man... We crucified the Messiah, the Christ. He's risen from the dead. But God never revealed himself to anybody except people who were already believers. God is a humble God. God is, he could put his thumb on every person's neck and make everybody praise him and acknowledge him. But that's not the way that God is. God wants you to voluntarily seek him. The Bible says, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please him. It takes faith. It pleases God. God is a God of faith. He wants you to relate to Him spirit to spirit. If you worship Him, you must worship Him. 
in spirit and in truth. And yet all of us are looking for something physical, tangible, something that will take us out of the realm of faith and put us into the realm of the natural. That's how we want to access God. I'm telling you that knowing God by the Word of God is the greatest way of knowing Him that there is. It has the greatest blessing on it. If we would take the Word of God and believe it when everything in the natural is screaming that it's not so and you just believe the Word of God, man, that's faith. You are connecting with God. God says you're blessed. Everything in your body, everything in your finances, everything in your existence is saying you're cursed. But you go by what God's Word says and you just believe it. That's what the Bible calls faith. That's what most of us call depression. Well, I know the Bible says this, but this isn't what I'm doing. And we just go with what we feel and we get depressed and discouraged. But man, faith is just taking the record of God's Word and believing it. Isn't that powerful? This is how you know God. Again, we're looking for some physical manifestation. But this is God revealing Himself, His nature, His character. If you are going to know God, you've got to know the Word of God. You've got to get to where you exalt the Word of God above your own personal opinion. Where you exalt God's Word above the doctor's opinion. Above the lawyer's opinion. Above the banker's opinion. Above your husband or wife's opinion. Above your own opinion. Romans 3, 4, Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. God true and every man a liar. I had a woman just come to me, I think it was either in Tulsa or Merritt Island, Florida, I forget which, but this woman believed that she was healed. She had uh, breast cancer and she believed that she was healed. And she grabbed hold of that. I agreed with her and prayed and she said that she was healed. And her husband wasn't a believer. And so he says, no, you are going to go to the doctor. And she says, well, I'll go to the doctor to humor you, but they are not doing surgery on me. And so she went to the doctor. Sure enough, they found these two large tumors in her breast. And uh, they scheduled her for surgery. And she says, you can schedule me for surgery, but you are not doing surgery on me. She says, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. And so the day for surgery came and she went in and they were prepping her for surgery. And she says, you can prep me all you want, but you aren't doing surgery on me. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. And they said, lady, you've got these huge tumors. And so they took her someplace, put her on a mammogram and put the thing up on the wall. And she could see these two large tumors in her breast. And they said, see this right here? We've got to cut those things out there, cancer. And she says, I see it, but you aren't doing surgery on me. By the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. And the people just were incensed like, and they said, you can't do that. Can't you see? And they looked and the two tumors were gone. (laughs) While they were doing this, they disappeared on the screen. And she said, I told you, you aren't doing surgery on me. Amen. You know what that is? Faith. Most of us think, no, that's crazy. Because, well, I've got this x-ray that proves it. I've got the doctor that said it. I've got the lawyer that said this. What about my banker? What about my bank statement? What about the word? Oh, well, yeah, the word says, I know that the word says this, but the banker says this. 
Let God be true and every man a liar. And I know some of you think I'm weird. But I think you're weird. This is normal. This is normal Christianity. Some of you think, well, that, that just doesn't work that way. Well, it won't work that way for you because you don't believe it. But you get to where you believe it, and you know what? You can start seeing awesome, awesome, awesome miracles happen. I tell you, the Word of God is so powerful. People have died to preserve this. Great expense, great effort, and yet most of us have it and don't even spend very much time reading it. If we do read it, we don't believe it. I'm telling you, you aren't going to know God unless you know the Word. This is how He reveals Himself to you. It's the number one way. It's not the only way. God can appear in a visible form. He can speak in an audible voice. But if you're waiting on that, most of you are going to die before it happens. You, everybody can experience God this way. Everybody can know Him. This is a perfect representation, an accurate representation. There is nothing wrong with this. It is 100% inspired of God. And man, you can come to know God through this. That's powerful. Amen? I know this is really simple, what I've shared, but it's profound. And most people, they, most people just don't let the Word of God get in the way of what they believe. It ought to change. It ought to get to where this is the foundation of your life. This controls what you believe. And I tell you, if you would live that way, you can come to know God. And tonight I'm going to share some specific things from the Word that reveal God that are counter to our religious culture today. But you know, all I've done so far is talk about the importance of knowing God, about how that you've got to be in the Spirit instead of in the flesh to know God, and that the Word that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. We've got to start trusting the Word. This is really simple what I've shared, but it's profound. And I promise you, if you'd follow these things, it'd make a huge, huge difference in the way that you relate to God and the way that you know God. Amen? Father, I just thank you for the Word of God. I thank you, Father, for these truths, for these promises. And Father, thank you that through the Word of God, you reveal yourself unto us, that all things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of you. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I welcome you today to come and bear witness, to impart truth. Luke 24, 45 says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come and touch people's hearts and lives today and open up their understanding so that the Word of God would become alive to them. It wouldn't be a dead book, but that they would begin to start receiving revelation. They would come to know you through the way that you revealed yourself in the Word. Father, we welcome the Holy Spirit to come and touch people's lives here today and impart revelation of who Jesus really is. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, in Luke chapter 24, the verses that I was using last night, after Jesus walked with them on the road to Emmaus, it says, Then He took the Scriptures and revealed Himself to them through the Scriptures and showed all of the prophecies beginning at Moses all the way up through the prophets. And they said, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked with Him by the way? 
You know, if, if the Word of God has never come alive to you and burned within you, I don't know how to describe that. That's about as good a description as any I've got. Then you know what? You need the Holy Spirit to just open up your understanding and reveal the Scriptures to you. Because when the Word of God begins to start speaking to you, that is the greatest experience that you can have. You know, I've seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen people's lives changed. I've had some wonderful experiences. But you know what? The thing that fires me up more than anything is when I'm studying the Word and God Almighty talks to me through the Word. It becomes alive. It's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah said a similar thing. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he said, But your Word was like fire shut up in my bones, and I couldn't forbear. I had to speak. If the Word of God is never just burned on the inside of you, if the Word of God hasn't come alive and changed you and just it lit a fire on the inside of you, you know what? You are missing relationship with God. God will speak to you through this Word. Amen. I've had people criticize me before and say, you love the Word more than you love God. They're one and the same. I don't love the pages of this book, but man, I love these truths that are written and revealed through the pages of, these book, of this book. This is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus identified Himself with the Word. He was the Word incarnate. I'm telling you, if, if the Word of God isn't awesome in your life, you don't know God. And I'm not saying this to hurt anybody, but I can tell you that many of the people who come up to me and ask for prayer, they, they don't know what the Word says about their healing. They say, well, I believe that the Bible says somewhere by his stripes we're healed. You know what? That's not going to get you healed. you got to know this. It's got to be a part of you. And those of you that are struggling and it seems like nothing's working in your life, I can guarantee you, you do not know the Word of God. You might know a couple of scriptures, but you don't know the Word of God. When you know the Word of God, the Scripture says that the Word is health unto all of your flesh and life unto those that find them. Psalms 107 verse 20, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. And on and on and on you could go. Man, the Word of God will produce health on the inside of you. It will produce wealth. It will produce joy and peace and victory. And your life will be different. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, John 6.63 says the Word is spirit and it's life. So to be spiritually minded is to be Word minded. If you're Word minded, then it produces life and peace. I have people come up to me all the time and say, Oh, I know what the Word says, but I'm, nothing works in my life. That'd be like a person saying, I planted peas, but I got corn. It doesn't work that way. There's a law of God. You reap what you sow. You may have think, thought that you planted the Word. You may have done what somebody else told you, but it's not true and accurate according to the Word of God because to be spiritually minded, Word minded, produces life and peace. You start thinking according to the Word and you'll get Word of God results in your life. Amen? Let me ask this. The very first thing I want to do is to say, if you're one of those that the Word of God has not been preeminent in your life, it's not dominated you, you're the kind that could take a scripture that says, by his stripes we're healed. 
and you know that it says that, but the doctor and your report over here says this, and this is much more dominant in your life. It causes much more fear than the Word causes faith. If you're one that the Word of God is not dominating and working in your life, and if you're ready to have the Holy Spirit open up your understanding so that you can understand the Scripture, so that the Word could burn on the inside of you. I'd like to ask you just right where you are to humble yourself and say, you know what, I need to change. I need to receive this. If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're going to pray for the Word of God to become alive on the inside of you and transform your life. Now, every one of us can receive more revelation of the Word. I'm not asking that. I'm asking for people that the Word isn't really alive on the inside of you. If it's already started and you're just in process, you can stay seated. But this is people who you're saying that the Word isn't alive to me. And it needs to be. God, I want your Word to come alive. Again, every one of us could receive more revelation, but this is people that saying, you know what, this isn't the way the Word is to me. It hasn't been this way. I want the Word to come alive and begin to work in my life. You know, if you've understood my invitation correctly, and if you're standing, then this ought to tell you why you got problems in your life. Amen. You shouldn't have any questions. Shouldn't be wondering about why aren't things working. Man, if the Word isn't alive, if it hadn't been speaking to you, that's the reason it's not working. This is going to change your life. And praise God for you humbling yourself and standing in front of people and admitting that, you know what, the Word isn't alive to me. This is going to change your life. Transform your life. Anybody else want to receive this? You know, there's somebody sitting down who's saying, well, that's really true of me, but I don't want to stand. I don't want people to know that the Word of God isn't predominant in my life. I'm just going to receive this prayer sitting down. I'm going to pray this won't work unless you stand. You got to stand to get this. You got to humble yourself. You got to be willing to humble yourself and repent. See, there's people standing. I knew that you were out there. Amen. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for all of these people. And Father, I just praise you for the way that you have given us revelation of you through the Word. Thank you for the people who have died and sacrificed their lives so that we could have an accurate copy of what you've told us. Thank you, Father, for the effort that you've put into delivering this Word to us. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit who wrote the Word to dwell on the inside of us and to give us revelation. Father, thank you for the scriptures like John 14, 26. says the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, will teach us all things and lead us into all truth and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever Jesus has spoken unto us. Father, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to reveal the Word of God. Thank you for an unction from the Holy One so that we can know all things, know what's in the Word. Father, right now, I pray that scripture in Luke 24, 45, that, the, that you would open up people's understanding, that they might know the scriptures, that they might know the Word. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit bringing revelation. I thank you that when they open up the Word of God and begin to read it, 
that it'll burn on the inside of them. It'll be like fire shut up in their bones. That the Word of God will speak to them and give understanding. That it'll be an alive book. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, these people have stood and humbled themselves. And you said that if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you will exalt us and lift us up. We've humbled ourselves and said, Father, we need you. We don't have this revelation of the Word. And so I believe that you are lifting them up. I believe that this is coming to pass. I believe that their life is going to change. I believe that from this day forward that the Word of God is going to begin to start becoming alive to them and give direction and instruction to them like it never has before. And we just thank you and praise you in advance, Father, for the results. We believe this is going to produce miraculous results. And we agree and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all believe that? Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. I tell you what, I'm excited about that. This is the difference between giving a person a fish and teaching you how to fish. Having me pray for you is one thing, but you know what? If you can get the Word of God, man, everything that God is will come to pass in your life. Isn't that good? You know, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you haven't been born again,